Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hey, Murder Fam, and welcome back to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and this is Serial Saturday, where every Saturday we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Todd Kolep. Todd Christopher Sampsell was born on March 7, 1971 in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So let's get into some history for that time. In 1971, the 26th Amendment of the United States Constitution stated that the legal age to vote was lowered to now 18 years old. The Walt Disney World theme park in Central Florida officially opened in October of 1971. NASA's Apollo 14 mission to the moon was launched this year and was the third successful manned mission to the moon. Once they arrived on the moon, one of the astronauts became the fifth person to walk on the surface of the moon and was the first to actually try golfing. The Soviet Union launched their first space station, Salyut 1, into low Earth orbit in April of 1971. It had several compartments, but only two of them were accessible to the crew. It orbited for 175 days before it was purposefully deorbited and it disintegrated just above the Pacific Ocean. Also in 1971, the Mariner 9 became the first spacecraft to orbit Mars, gathering atmospheric data and taking very detailed photographs of Mars' surface. But it stopped communicating the next year, and at some point it will fall down onto the Martian surface. The New York Times also began publishing sections of the Pentagon Papers, which showed that the U.S. government was lying to its citizens regarding the political and military involvement during the Vietnam War as well as World War II. China was admitted into the United Nations this year. A large earthquake hit Chongar, Peru, and most of the people in that town died. In Sicily, Mount Etna erupted, and in Switzerland, women were granted the right to vote. In 
The cost of the average new house was about $25,250, or rent was about $150 a month. The average salary was $10,600, and a gallon of gas was just $0.40 cents a gallon. So this was the atmosphere that Todd was born into. His parents were William and Regina Samsel. Now, William was a military veteran, and according to Regina's obituary, she had decided to go to dental school, but that didn't last. They married in the late 60s, with Todd being born in, of course, 1971. But the marriage was over two years later. According to an interview with Regina, William took off and abandoned the family when Todd was just two months old. Regina took her young son and moved up to Georgia for a bit and then on to South Carolina. Todd's mother stated that he showed signs of emotional and behavioral problems from as young as a year old. Regina and William were officially divorced when Todd was two years old, and she quickly married Carl Kolhep, who adopted Todd and gave him his last name. He also inherited two step-siblings as well. Needless to say, Todd and Carl did not get along. When Todd was in preschool, it was reported he sat in the corner and could really only use anger to interact with the other children. Some examples were him destroying projects that the other children were working on, or he would just flat out physically lash out at the other kids. It was as if one moment he would be normal and a compliant child, and then the next he would explode with rage. The biggest problem seemed to be that Todd absolutely could not take any level of criticism. One story his mother told during an interview was that, while on the school bus, a girl teased him and it angered him, so he took some scissors that he had and he stabbed her in the leg. Of course, Regina said that the stab wound had not been deep. She seemed very kind of dismissive about the entire attack. At one point, Todd decided he wanted a gerbil, so he asked his mom, and she said, well, you already have a goldfish, so you can't have a gerbil. So Todd poured bleach into the goldfish's bowl and killed it. He later stated that he also felt his step-siblings got preferential treatment compared to him. He was once given a BB gun, and he promptly shot a dog with it. His mother put him in the Boy Scouts, but he was kicked out due to several, quote, disruptions. So finally, his mother took him to counselors who described his temper as being explosive and almost seemed to be, you know, preoccupied with inappropriate sexual themes at a very young age. At just nine years old, he was finally admitted to the Behavior Evaluation Center at the Georgia Mental Health Institute for three months. It was noted in court documents that his mother was not able to properly discipline Todd, and yet a psychologist stated that Todd was abused and his own grandfather would hit him with a cattle prod. It was noted that he was the product of a very dysfunctional family. 
Once he was released from the Mental Health Institute, he quickly went right back to his volatile ways. Now again, according to Regina, William, Todd's biological father, showed back up in Todd's life with a simple knock on the door after being absent nearly all of his son's young life thus far. After that, Todd began demanding that he be allowed to go live with his father who now resided in Arizona. He hated his stepfather and they fought constantly. He also had a rather contentious relationship with Regina and he just really wanted to leave. In an interview with Regina, she stated she tried to keep him from going to live with his father by buying him new bedroom furniture. She said he took a claw hammer and destroyed that furniture, saying that he wanted to go live with his father. She stated that he also threatened to kill her if she did not send him to Arizona. So she said that at night, she locked him in his room as well as locking the door to her room because she was scared of him. At 12 years old, he was already taller and bigger than she was. But then finally it all became too much and she allowed Todd to go live with his father for one whole school year just to see how it would go. Of course, other sources say that she let him go so she could quote, work on herself. Either way, she wanted to see how Todd would acclimate to a different environment. She found out later that his father would disappear, sometimes for up to three days straight, chasing women or whatever, leaving Todd home alone. She said, quote, you can't do that with Todd, unquote. His father, who apparently told him he had been a special forces soldier, mercenary, and was an arms dealer, also included Todd into his hobby of collecting weapons, and together they bonded over, quote, blowing things up and making bombs, unquote. But... At the same time, Todd was growing tired of his father's absence and started telling his mother that he'd really like to come back home. It is reported that she had a number of excuses that she told him to keep him from being able to return. She said that she believed her son wanted her all to himself and did everything he could to ruin her marriage. So, Todd worked various odd jobs while living with his father, including being a dishwasher and busboy at his father's restaurant called Billy's Famous for Ribs. He also worked briefly for Burger King and did some landscaping work on the side. Having a work ethic was never an issue. But his anger due to feeling abandoned by his mother and his father's constant preoccupation was at a boiling point. In October of 1986, when he was 15 years old, Todd went to a 14-year-old female neighbor and classmate of his, luring her away from her house by telling her that her boyfriend wanted to talk to her. Once she finally agreed to go with him and exited her house, he pulled a gun on her and forced her to go inside of his own house a few houses away. His father had been gone on a business trip to Nebraska. Todd then tied her hands together with rope and taped her mouth shut. He then violently raped her. 
after he walked her home, all the while telling her that if she told anyone what he had done, he would kill her younger siblings. Of course, she still reported it, and he was arrested, charged with kidnapping and sexual assault. One of the other neighbors in the area described Todd as a, quote, devil on a chain. He was tried as an adult and sentenced to 15 years in prison. He served 14 of those 15 years and, while in prison, was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. He was released in 2001 at the age of 29. So that was Todd's childhood. I think it seems pretty self-explanatory, but let's dive in. Todd indeed seemed doomed from day one. His father supposedly abandoned him and his mother when he was only a couple of months old. Now, some sources want to blame some of his aggressiveness and violent tendencies on that, but I do not agree. A very small infant would have no way to recognize that type of abandonment at that age. If his mother had suffered in some way, though, postpartum depression or depression from her husband leaving her, then she might have displayed some separation from Todd, maybe perhaps, but I doubt it. Todd was incapable of tolerating any level of criticism, and his mother was flippant about him stabbing a little girl in the leg on the bus. I feel that this is a huge red flag with regards to Todd's childhood. Out of the interviews and articles I read about his childhood, it always seemed to circle back to his mother and her lack of discipline. Disciplining children, guys, is essential, necessary for their happiness and well-being. It is vital for healthy child development and every bit as important as nutrition, exercise, cognitive fulfillment, love, and so on. Without discipline, children will not develop the tools necessary to navigate relationships and challenges in life such as self-discipline and self-regulation, impulse control, respect for others, and the ability to cooperate with their peers. Contrary to what some parents mistakenly believe, children who are not regularly disciplined are not happy. In fact, failure to discipline children often results in kids who are quite unhappy, angry, and even resentful, which we do see in Todd. These children are not pleasant to be around, and they often don't make friends easily know why? Because they haven't been taught boundaries. Boundaries are, again, vital to the success and happiness of children. Once they know what their boundaries are, where the fences are, what is expected, tolerated, or not, they know the rules and what is expected and can exist more comfortably knowing what is acceptable and what is not. Now, people love to come at me when I make these kinds of statements. I am by no means blaming Todd's crimes on his mother. She didn't force him to commit his crime. She didn't put the gun in his hand. I'm sure she was just not, let's say, equipped with the self-discipline it takes to be consistent and firm with how to deal with children, especially troubled children. She did take him to counseling and took steps to try to help him, and that is definitely admirable. 
So for school-age children, learning how to manage their own behavior and regulate their negative impulses is crucial. As they head into adolescence and the more stressful teenage years, they will be much more likely to successfully navigate challenges and temptations if they have the tools to self-regulate and discipline themselves. It seems, at least to me, that Todd was not taught this adequately. And then we also see signs of a more troublesome issue, possibly childhood psychopathy. Now, according to an article titled, quote, Can We Identify Psychopathy in a Young Child, unquote, in Psychology Today, there was a study done by Rebecca Waller from the University of Michigan that suggested psychopathy can be seen in children as young as two years old. Most people, when asked about a psychopathic person they know, they will say things like, they saw it coming, such as the person having been a bully as a child, abusing family pets, or stealing, and so on. The article states that, to clarify the meaning of psychopathy, most definitions rely on a two-factor model. Okay, so factor one is this shallow affect, superficial charm, manipulativeness, and lack of empathy. Factor two is the inability to show remorse and the behaviors associated with the socially deviant lifestyle of impulsiveness and criminality. So the study I mentioned took some data from a sample of 731 two-year-olds and their mothers. They focused on the callous, unemotional, pre-psychopathic behavior of low levels of empathy and guilt, as well as the general lack of feeling for others. She and her team asked people around the child with which they had some form of relationship with, such as parents, teachers, and so on, and asked them to rate the child on the callous, unemotional tendencies. There were five items for them to consider as they rated. One, the child doesn't seem guilty after misbehaving. Two, punishment does not change the behavior. Three, the child is selfish or won't share. Four, the child consistently lies. And five, the child is sneaky. Now, behavioral problems were indicated by items such as getting into fights, destroying toys and other objects, which Todd most certainly did, and then also having temper tantrums. The results of this study revealed that by age three, toddlers who rated high on the scale using the five factors did develop into children with significant behavioral problems. The mother's ratings on that scale alone were enough to accurately predict later behavior problems, but were still significantly accurate from teachers and other caregivers as well. My opinion is that due to a lack of consistent discipline and a child showing psychopathic tendencies and behaviors, a mother who couldn't absorb the fact that her son had serious issues and seemed again dismissive about her son's very seriously disturbed behaviors, mixed with an adolescent who went to live with his father who taught him all about violence and dangerous weapons during the beginning stages of puberty, his father having multiple sexual partners around his son, 
It really shouldn't come as a surprise that Todd went on to kidnap another teen girl, bind her, and rape her, then using threatened violence to try to silence her. So let's get back into the story. Todd was released in 2001 and was required to register as a sex offender, both in Arizona as well as in South Carolina, where he went back to live not long after he was released. He left the prison with a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder at that time. So what does that look like? Borderline personality disorder is a mental health disorder that, according to the Mayo Clinic, impacts the way you think and feel about yourself and others, causing problems functioning in everyday life. It includes self-image issues, difficulty managing emotions, and behavior and a pattern of unstable relationships. The doctors in the prison stated that he displayed deep emotional disturbance, but not psychosis. He had an inflated ego and showed an extreme rebellion against authority that he felt he should be in control. It was noted that the only emotion Todd was really capable of sustaining was anger, and he showed absolutely no remorse. But he did seem to want to turn his life around and walk the straight and narrow once he was released. He actually went to college and earned not one, but two degrees, one in computer science and one in business. However, during this time, while he was taking classes, he committed his first murders. In November 2003, Todd Kolhep walked through the back of the Superbike Motorsports motorcycle shop and began killing the employees. He first shot and killed the 26-year-old mechanic who was in the back working. He then walked into the showroom and killed the 52-year-old bookkeeper and mother of the owner. Then he shot and killed the 30-year-old service manager at the door and went on to shoot and kill the 30-year-old owner in the parking lot. All of them died from multiple gunshot wounds. The owner's wife later testified that Todd had been a customer of theirs who was extremely upset and visited the shop on multiple occasions. He had purchased a motorcycle there and tried to return it. Now Todd's mother stated the employees laughed at him and would not allow him to return the bike, making fun of him for not knowing how to ride. Now this seems fabricated to me, but of course I wasn't there. Regardless, he murdered four people and was not caught. Of course, some of his college classmates said that after the horrible murders, Todd did not act any different whatsoever. There was no guilt no change in his personality, absolutely no indication that he had done anything that he might have regretted. Classmates described him as serious, well-dressed, and worked hard during class. One did say, though, that he would often challenge what the professors would teach, trying to elaborate on why he felt the information was incorrect or how he understood it to be different. So, a little food for thought. In 2006, Todd applied for a South Carolina real estate license, misrepresenting the nature of his felony conviction for the kidnapping and rape. He was a registered sex offender, 
and on his application, which at the time did not require a background check, he wrote that he had, quote, had a heated argument and breakup with his girlfriend, but that they had remained friends. Then his dog got loose and the former couple went looking for it. Her parents didn't know where she was. They got worried and called the police, unquote. He said that he had had the gun because he was scared of the gangs in the Phoenix area. Todd put on his application that he earned his GED and had an associate's degree in computer science while he had been in prison. His license was approved. While working for a real estate company, he began his own real estate business that he called TKA Real Estate, and he had about a dozen agents working for him. Within the next year, he was impressively successful in his business and bought a rather large house for nearly half of what it was actually worth. He ran his business out of his home. He hired people to clean and do work on his property. Although associates later said that Todd did have a creepy quality to him, none suspected he was anything other than a nice, successful and driven businessman who happened to own a lot of guns. Then strangely, after he bought the house with the land, he spent $80,000 putting chain link fence around the entire property, which was enough acreage to make installing this fence very strange, being that it was 95 acres. And then an Amazon account under Todd's name began leaving reviews for purchased items such as padlocks, tactical gear, targets, knives, gun accessories, and books about snipers and emergency war surgery. One review actually said, quote, haven't stabbed anyone yet, yet, but I am keeping the dream alive and when I do, it will be with a quality tool like this. Unquote. Another review for a special kind of half-size foldable shovel said, quote, Keep in car for when you have to hide the bodies and you left the full-size shovel at home. Does not come with a midget, which would have been nice. Unquote. And yet another review read, quote, Blacker than my soul and priced right. Unquote. And there were many, many others. So, in August of 2016, 32-year-old Charles David Carver and his girlfriend, 30-year-old Kayla Brown, disappeared after they had been to Todd's house to clean it as housekeepers. Shortly after, there were some rather strange Facebook posts on Charles' account. Their friends told media outlets that the posts coming from the account were suspicious and most likely not them, that the account was compromised. One message after the couple went missing was, quote, we are fine, or that only one person knew where the couple was. There were posts stating the couple got married, were buying a house, and even expecting a daughter. There were also posts about digging holes, sword violence, and even lyrics to the Eagles song, Hotel California. And he wasn't just posting from Charles's account. He posted on his own account, quote, find yourself getting in trouble, got too much time on your hands, got bag of cash you just don't know what to do with. Well, your problem can be solved. 
buy some land, any land, just land. You won't have any time to misbehave, no mo. Too sore and tired for that shit. Yes, sir. And those nagging questions of what to buy next will forget that too. You will find that land is like a boat, just more expensive and you can't take it out on the weekends. Problems solved. Unquote. He was also joking about the news reporting on missing people who weren't actually missing, saying, quote, Oh, wait, that person just went to the beach with a friend. Other person found with her parole violation boyfriend. Unquote. What had actually happened was that, according to Todd, Charles had mouthed off to him, so he shot Charles multiple times and killed him. He then buried the body on his property later. He took Kayla and locked her in a shipping container, chaining her to a wall. He told her that he was sorry about Charles, that he had to let her know that he was serious, that he wouldn't hurt her if she did what he said. He told her he killed people for a living for the government and that he didn't know if he was going to kill her or sell her. He showed her her boyfriend's dead body that had been wrapped in a blue tarp, and then he took her back to the container. It seemed he unburdened himself at her as he kept her prisoner for two months, taking her out of the container long enough to sexually assault her. Finally, after using the couple's cell phones for his cryptic postings, the authorities were able to locate him using those cell phone signals. They then heard banging coming from inside the container and found Kayla inside. That rescue video can actually be easily found online if you'd like to see it. Todd was then and there arrested. A search of Todd's property uncovered two more bodies of murder victims who had gone missing the year before. Both had been hired by Todd to do work for him. After his arrest, Todd confessed to the murders, including the murders of the people at the motorcycle shop, thus closing that investigation, finally. Todd told his mother in private that there were many more victims, aside from the ones he had been linked to. He was eventually sentenced to seven consecutive life sentences for seven counts of murder, two counts of kidnapping, and one count of criminal sexual assault. Now, watching interviews with his mother, I see a woman who, at least to me, appears to be putting on quite a show for the cameras. She laments that she feels sorry for the victims and their families and that she has tremendous shame. And yet, as she, quote, cries, her eyes are not welling up with tears, not a single drop. Of course, I'm no expert when it comes to reading that kind of body language and whatnot, but it does seem like she is going for an Academy Award. I'm not saying she should take any responsibility for her son's murders. I'm just saying. But clearly, Todd was a disturbed child from the beginning. Some sources say he was abused and others say that he was coddled. His bad behavior dismissed and was not addressed properly. Either way, it seems as though his psychopathic tendencies were apparent from the beginning. But what do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at serial underscore killing or on the YouTube channel under the same name as this podcast. 
consider sponsoring. I'm trying to get to a point where I can devote a lot more time to bring you guys stories more than just twice a week. But most importantly, thank you so, so much for listening. I am still so humbled at the kind and awesome responses and communications that I get from you guys. You have no idea how much I appreciate it. Thanks again and have a great day.